Acts chapter 6. I'm going to move up just a little bit here because I feel like I'm a little farther away from you and I need to get within spitting range of the front row at least. Um, sorry, Kim. I apologize. Um, we're, uh, again, we're continuing in, in our um, series in Acts chapter 6. Um, is where we're at right now. We're in the series called Witness, working through the, through the book of Acts. And actually, we're coming to a, uh, a stopping point today. This will be the last message f um, out of the book of Acts for a, a time. We'll take a break and we're going we're gonna to look at some other um, passages of Scripture, some other parts of the Bible um, from, for the rest of the summer and into the fall. Um, but in the meantime... Um, we want to wrap things up, and this is a really, this is a real um, a crucial moment for the church in the book of Acts. Um, in fact, um, we have seen the church grow from just uh, a small group of followers of Jesus to now they are um, many or several thousand believers uh, in Jerusalem, and we've seen people um, who live all over uh, at this time, who lived all over the world, who've come to know Jesus. Um, it's been a Jewish phenomenon. It's, it was a, a growth of the church through the Jewish people. Um, they, they believed in the one true God, and they then came to believe in Jesus as uh, God's Son, as His Messiah, as the Christ. And so we've seen um, how the church has grown, but we've seen it have opposition too, Right? We've seen the opposition coming. We've seen how the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem uh, at one point uh, arrested the apostles, warned them not to teach anymore in the name of Jesus, let them go, but they continued to speak with boldness. Um, then they arrested them again, not just once, but twice, and after a miraculous um, uh, rescue in the middle of the night. They, the apostles went back out and kept on preaching. So they were arrested again, but this time um, they wanted to put them to death, but they decided instead to simply beat them, flog them, strip them basically naked, and publicly beat them and humiliate them, and then warn them again not to preach in the name of Jesus. Yet what did the apostles do? They continued to preach in the name of Jesus. They said, we, it's more important for us to obey God rather than men. We must, in fact, it is a necessity of our calling and who we are to obey God rather than men. And then last week we saw how as the disciples were growing, the, the, the conflict started to arise because people were different. You know, people, we, we're all different. And it was, it was no different for the church then as it is now. Um, there were cultural and even some slightly ethnic, some ethnic differences that were kind of a big deal. And because of that, there were some people who were being neglected. So we saw how the disciples gathered together and said, we need to have a plan in place to serve these people who are being otherwise neglected. And that's where we're at now. We're at, the, uh, we're at Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And this passage tells the story of one of those men, one of the seven who the apostles and the church together decided needed to be in charge of, of ministering to the needs of this neglected group, this Hellenist, these, 
these believers, Jewish believers who primarily spoke Greek and came from a different culture than the rest of the Hebrews or the, the Jewish people who lived in Judea and Jerusalem at the time. And Stephen was one of those seven that they chose to take care of the Hellenists. And we're going to see his story here. And we're going to see it in its entirety. I want to invite you to turn, if you haven't already, to Acts 6, beginning at verse 8, and then just strap in your seatbelt because I'm going to go through a really long passage and it will be accented, I hope, by um, our, our... Did we get that? We're good to go there? Okay. So it will be accented by some visuals there up on the, the screen so you can follow along um, as I read aloud. Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians, and of the Alexandrians, I'm sorry, that was the Cyrenians, and, the, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him... All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and, in, and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they will come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, Jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family 
became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephon, the images that you made to worship and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent, of the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. 
according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with, jo with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. I pray, God, that you will give us understanding um, and insight into it. I pray, God, even... <laughs> Even before that, you'll give us the humility to receive it as your word, um, as, as something we need to submit our lives to, to humble ourselves before, um, not to judge the word by our own opinions, by our own thoughts and desires, or by our own uh, ways of thinking, but to humbly receive it, to understand it. And then God, um, by your Holy Spirit, and giving us power um, that we may walk out of here and obey it and do it. In your name we pray. Amen. We tend to do a couple of things. We tend first to restrict God to one, either one people group or to one place like, oh, God, we'll, go, we'll find God at the church. Or, we'll find God when we do this particular activity. 
We restrict God to certain areas of our lives. Have you ever, have you ever um, sensed that? That as long as you're doing these things, God is there with you. God is present and you're acknowledging Him. But when it comes to these other choices, I'm not going to consider God. I'm not going to consider His ways. I'm going to consider what works in this situation. I don't know, what would God, what would it be like if, if you considered God and His authority and His sovereignty over all areas of your life? Well, we tend to also live according to our own way. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, the next step in that journey. If God, if we can restrict God to one place or one group or one area of our life, then we can live however we want Everywhere else. We can do whatever we want everywhere, everywhere, everywhere else. Rather than acknowledging God's ways for us. That, my friends, what was, is what was going on in the conflict between Stephen and his opponents. The leaders of the Jewish people and the other people that they gathered together and they stirred up to come against him. They stirred up to come against him. I want to show you from Stephen's ministry, short, very short ministry here, and his message, which is actually quite long, the longest message that we have recorded in the book of Acts. But I want to show you from that that God works in anyone in any place, at any time, for His glory. God works in anyone, in any place, at any time, for His glory. And second, I want to show you that God reveals Himself and His ways through history, through His Word, the Bible, Scripture, and ultimately through His Son, Jesus. That was the message that Stephen had for His people there listening at that time. And that's the message I believe that God has for us, that the Holy Spirit has for us today. God works in anyone, in any place, at any time. Notice Stephen, going back all the way to the beginning of this passage, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, if, I was, if we were doing a character study on Stephen, we could spend about five or ten minutes and we could just talk about how Stephen, um, who was not an apostle, but he was one of the seven, he was chosen after the apostles, was doing the exact same things that the apostles were doing. And we could, we could then kind of discuss, well, wait a second, wasn't he one of these proto-deacons? Wasn't he supposed to be serving the people and they're meeting their physical needs. And what's he doing here? Preaching and speaking and doing wonders and signs. Wasn't that what the apostles were doing? But what do we know? God works in anyone, in any place, at any time, for his glory. And that's what we see going on with Stephen. We see Stephen full of grace and power, described just like the disciples and the apostles were, were described. They were described in Acts chapter 4. 
Um, they, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Here is Stephen, full of grace and power. Here is Stephen doing great wonders and signs. We've seen wonders and signs. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Signs and wonders were regularly done. We saw this in Acts chapter 2. Um, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and several other points. And we even see wonders and signs happening in the message that Stephen shares as he recounts Israel's history. He says that wonders and signs were done in Egypt and at the Red Sea through Moses, through this man. Stephen is being used by God for his glory even though he's not what everyone expected. They're going, what ha what's the deal with Stephen? He wasn't one of these other guys. He wasn't set up like, by, by Jesus to be one of the apostles. Yet here he is doing all of this stuff. And look who he's arguing with in verses 9, 10, and following. People from the synagogue of the freedmen, of the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and Asia. See, what was going on at that time in Jerusalem and all over the world where synagogues were set up, where, God, where, where, where believers in God would gather together in worship. And there in Jerusalem, people were coming and, and moving there from all parts of the world. And so what did they do? They came and they said, well, we, don't, we speak Greek primarily. We don't speak any Hebrew or very little of it. We know a little bit from, from reading the scriptures, but, um, but just enough to be dangerous kind of like a, semin uh, like a seminary graduate who had, you knows just enough Hebrew to be dangerous, or Greek. Um, but they spoke a different language, so they gathered together so they could study God's word and worship in the language that they understood. So all of these Hellenistic followers of God, uh, Jewish people, were gathering together in these synagogues, and that's where Stephen was ministering. Because he too was one of them. He too was a Hellenistic Jew. He spoke their language. He understood their culture. And he was speaking to them. God was using anyone to speak to these people from all these different places at this particular time for his glory. They rose up, they disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So what did they do? They stirred up men. They instigated, it says. They, they basically paid some guys to come in and accuse Stephen of doing something or doing something that he didn't do or saying things that he didn't say. So they stirred them up. And, and we see here for the first time in Acts chapter 6, verse 12, that it's not just the elders of the people. It's not just the priests. It's not just the scribes. But it's the people themselves. At one time they were like, the apostles are great. Look at all the things that they're doing. These Christians are wonderful. The church is, is great. Let's give them a space in the temple so they can worship. And then all of a sudden they, the, church starts, the church starts to grow and some people don't like it and so they get accused of some things and all of a sudden the people turn against them too. Now the people are saying, we don't like those Christians. We don't like those followers of Jesus. 
And they, so what do they do? They set up false witnesses once again. And what, do they, what, what are the things that they accuse him of? They, they say this in verse 13. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. They said he is speaking against the place that we have set aside that God lives and God dwells and we worship him. He's, he's speaking against that. He's, seen, he's saying that you can access God outside of the temple. He's saying that you can come to God without coming to Jerusalem. He's speaking against this law. He's saying that the law, that obeying the law and obeying the rules is not going to get you into God's presence. That only through, the son, through His Son Jesus can you come to God. Can you have that salvation? He's speaking against the holy place, the temple. He's speaking against the law. Were they right? Maybe in a sense, maybe in a, from a certain point of view, maybe they were right. Maybe they were right. But Stephen had a message to share. And his speech or his sermon becomes not just a defense. He's not just making a, an apologetic statement for why he believes what he believes and why he should be left alone and allowed to continue to do what he does. But he realizes in, many ca- in, in, in a lot of ways, it was a lost cause. He wasn't going to convince anybody. So what is he going to do? He's going to take that opportunity to be a faithful witness. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take that opportunity to be a faithful witness to who Jesus is. A witness to the truth. Because God works in anyone, in any place, at any time, for His glory. We, we, along with Stephen, must witness faithfully. Just as Stephen did. Notice some of the things that he says throughout his story. I'm not going to go verse by verse through chapter 7. So, so, can let out a sigh. You don't have to um, hold your breath. Okay? But, Look at some of the things that he said. God, the God of glory appeared to our father Abram. Where? Where did, where did God appear to Abraham? In Mesopotamia. Before even he lived in a place called Haran. Before he lived in a place called Canaan, which eventually became the promised land, which became Israel, and in the first century Judea. God appeared to him in a foreign land. And God said, I'm with you. I'm present with you. And he said to leave for there and go somewhere else. And then he said, when, when I bring the people into this place after they're in slavery, he predicts when they're going to be in slavery, then I'm going to judge that nation, which is Egypt, and I'm going to bring them back. They will come out and they will worship me in this place. The key there is that they are going to worship. God is going to bring them to back to this, the place in Jerusalem, in, in Israel, in that land, so that they can worship Him. And then I'm reminded that Jesus had a conversation with somebody about worship. Where should we worship? My ancestors say we should worship on this mountain. Your ancestors say you should worship on Mount Zion, in Jerusalem. So which is it? And Jesus is saying, you're both wrong. God's bigger than both of your places. He's bigger than the temple. In fact, there's going to be a time that's coming where 
True worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth because they will be worshiping by the spirit of Jesus that is in them, that is in all believers. So no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what time you are in, God will be glorified through the worship of his people. The patriarchs sold, sold Joseph then into Egypt, but God was with him. Where was God with him? In Egypt. <laughs> All of these places where God is, saying, is, is said to be with his people are outside of Jerusalem. God's with his people in Egypt. He's with Joseph in Egypt. And, they, and the entire family, uh, Jacob's entire family moves down to Egypt to live with Joseph and to be taken care of. And then, then who does he call? He calls this man Moses, who is raised by whom? By the Egyptians. He grows up as an Egyptian. He's not a Hebrew. He's not suffering with his fellow slaves his, or his fellow brothers and sisters who are slaves in Egypt. He's grown up and instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And God says, I'm going to use that guy, that foreigner, really, to give my message to his people. And so when Moses decides, hey, I, I see my people are being oppressed. I, I'm going to do something about it. And he feels like, you know, he feel, really feels like God is calling him and sending him to go do this thing because he, the, it says it came into his heart to visit his brothers. God, I think, I think Luke here, the author of this, and Stephen in his messages is, trying, is basically implying God put it into his heart. Look at your people. Go, go rescue these people. You're not really... You need to come out of your Egyptianness and become a Hebrew like your brothers and sisters. And so he goes out to them and what do they do? They reject him. So then where does Moses go? He goes into the land of Midian. We're still not in Israel. We're still not in Jerusalem. We're still not in the promised land. Yet God is directing Moses to go to Midian. So he's taken this Hebrew by birth, raised... Egyptian, Egyptian by culture, we could say, and then 40 years in a completely different land, living out in the desert in this land called Midian. And then, where does God appear to Moses? On, in Jerusalem? On Mount Zion? At the temple? No. He appears to, to Moses in a bush, in a burning bush in the land of Midian. God here appearing to somebody in this someplace at this particular time for his glory. So God, Moses encounters God and look what he says in verse 33. The Lord says to him, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Not the promised land, not Jerusalem, not the temple. This place is holy ground, This any place which just happens to be a bush burning that's not really burning? Yes. Yes. That's a holy place because God is there. And what does God say he's going to do? I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. I'm going to do this thing. Oh, by the way, I'm going to do it through you. God is going to work in this sunburn from some place at this sometime for his glory. Then continue on. Um, Moses does 
wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness. And the, uh, the people follow him out of Egypt, but then they start to think, you know, um, just because this guy um, did all of this stuff for God and just because we saw these signs and just because God spoke to us audibly and we heard his voice at the foot of the mountain and then just because Moses has received all of this word from God about how we should live and about who he is and his ways and all the, all the rest, um, you know what? Let's not obey him. Let's not do what he says. Let's, let's, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to our old ways. Let's go back to the way we want to go. So maybe, maybe they felt like they'd have more control over their gods if they did it all themselves. I don't know. They made a calf. We all know, most of us I believe, know the story of the golden calf. How they gathered up all of the gold that they could accumulate. And then Aaron, Moses' brother who's supposed to be leading them to God and leading, him into, leading them into God's presence, fashions a calf and says, here is your God, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Worship this thing. Bow down before this thing. Sing your songs to this thing right here. They turned away from God and His ways. Even though God had revealed Himself and His ways through the entire history of Israel's people, through his word, his spoken and written down word that Moses brought down off the mountain for the people. They rejected him. They rejected him and they went their own way. God turned away from them then and said, okay, if that's how you want to be, you go ahead. If you, if you don't want to follow me, you go ahead and you can have what you worship. Ironically, that's what God does for us. When we turn away from Him and we worship an idol, we've been talking, I've been talking a lot about idolatry lately. I'm in a reading group with, some, with a couple of men and we, we talked about, uh, in length, about how we make idols out of everything. And then in a group of friends that I met with this past weekend, uh, couples, and we, talk, we get together and we talk about our marriages and encourage each other and, and, and having faithful marriages. Uh, we talked about how we make our, our spouse an idol. How we put our spouse before God and we expect our spouse to give us all of the things that r really only God can give us. And there they are. God says, if you want those idols, you go follow them. You can have those idols. They won't help you. They won't be there for you like I will. But you can follow them. I'll let you. You go ahead. But guess what's going to happen? You're going to end up in exile. You're going to end up so far from me. You're going to be so, so off the beaten path that it's going to take some massive rescue operation to bring you back. But if you want it, you go for it. If that's what's in your heart, you go ahead and follow it. Well, they did. Ironically, though, during that time, that entire time they were disobeying God for 40 years in the wilderness, there was this tent. And I love the way that Stephen talks about the tent. He calls it the tent of witness. The tent of witness. 
It was a place where they could see God, where they could be with God. It was, a, it, was a, it was a place where they could testify about what he had done and where he could then speak his words to the people and they could have community. They could have fellowship. They could be with him in that place. So we have the tent of witness where God is and where they're, they're present with him and then they get into the land and they say now let's let's build a dwelling but let's build a permanent structure not just a tent not just a place that will travel with us not just God with us wherever he he takes us wherever he leads us but let's build a permanent place in this place right here in this promised land and then God will always be here and we will always be here and it'll be like an eternal perfect situation and so Solomon did. The son of David, Solomon, did build a temple in Jerusalem. And it was built. And it was amazing. And God was there. But then he said, Hey, I want you to remember that while you're worshiping me here, this is just, this is just an infinitesimal percentage of the space that I occupy as creator God of the universe. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool, much less this little tiny speck of a house. As glorious as it is to you, it's nothing to me. Didn't I make everything? So how can you contain me? How can you restrict me to just that one place, to just that one people group, to just that one area of your life when I want to be everywhere and I am everywhere? So what does Stephen say to the people? I guess this is where it turns, right? At, up to this point, I think he probably got a lot of agreement. Although they probably thought, hmm, he's kind of, he's leading us here. You know, he's saying this, he's saying that. But then when he says, all right, let's stop talking about history and let's start talking about you. Let's stop talking about the past and what happened before. And let's start, start talking about you and the implications for your life. You are stiff-necked people. That's a, that was a great uh, Hebrewism, a way to say, you guys will not submit to God. You're stiff-necked. He says, you're uncircumcised in heart and ears. What? So for, for a people who believed in, in the physical sign of circumcision, that, that sign, that made you God's people. You were a child of God. You were circumcised. That means you were Him. And He's saying, no, you are actually uncircumcised, not physically, but in your hearts and your ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. How dare you say that to us? How dare you tell us that we have problems? How dare you tell us that we are not responsive to God? As your fathers did, so do you, he said. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? The history of Israel was not just witnessing all of these great deeds, which they did, and it's recorded for us, but it's a history of rebellion. It's a history of resistance. It's a history of, oh, you're going to send, God, you're going to send somebody to tell us a message that we don't want to hear? Well, guess what? We're going to persecute them. We don't want to hear that message. We don't want to be convicted. So what did they do? 
They persecuted them. <laughs> That's the history of Israel. Every prophet that came and said, Thus saith the Lord, God is saying this to you. They said, We don't want to have anything to do with you. Some they persecuted, some they beat, some they murdered and killed. And what does he say? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. God has revealed himself and his ways throughout the history of Israel. Throughout, he revealed his, himself and his ways through his word, written down for us as scripture, written down and recorded for us now as the Bible, God's word, and through his son, the righteous one, through the life, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God has revealed himself. And what did they do? They betrayed him. They murdered him. They should have known better. Who was, obe who was obedient to the law? Those who said, we love the law, but we don't want to have anything to, with, to do with Jesus? Or those who said, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. God has come down to us in human form and He is our only hope and we're to put our hope in Him. And He's going to fulfill all that the law spoke about. Well, as soon as you, as soon as you turn from Jesus, you're no longer following God's ways. You're, not, you're no longer following God. You're no longer listening to Him. You're no, you're no longer a faithful witness. You've gone, to your, you've gone your own way. And that's what was going on with the people that Stephen was talking to. Jesus came once. And his people didn't recognize him. They refused to believe him. They refused to turn to him. So they betrayed and murdered him. Jesus now comes to each and every one of us through his word. Through the message spoken like Stephen spoke it. He's giving the people an opportunity. I'm going to speak to you the true word of Jesus and Jesus is going to come to you. He wants to come to you a second time through his word. He said this about Joseph. He said, um, what, what did he say? In, in chapter 7, um, verse 12, but when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt. He sent our, out our fathers on their first visit. Remember, if I don't know if you remember the story, but when they first visit Joseph, they don't recognize him. He looks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian. They didn't recognize their brother. It had been many years. They didn't recognize him. They didn't see him for who he was. It was not until the second visit Joseph made himself known to his brothers and they recognize him and then they don't recognize him just as their brother but they recognize him as their redeemer. The one who's going to save them out of a famine. The one that's going to provide for them and take care of them. And they recognize him on the second visit. Stephen's talking to these people and he's saying, are you going to recognize Jesus in the message that I'm, that I'm sharing with you? Are you going to recognize Jesus before it's too late? Are you going to turn to, to God through Jesus and live according to His ways that He has given for you? Are you going to uh, witness faithfully to God's works 
in anyone, at any, in any place, at any time for His glory? Are you going to faithfully witness to God in His revelation through history and through His Word and through His Son Jesus? Or are you going to miss it? What they do next? Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. That's what they did next. We don't want to hear it. And they ground their teeth at him. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what the... You can't grind your teeth for very long. Uh, your dentist won't be happy with you. But they were so angry. But what does he do? <laughs> what, does, what does Stephen do? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry. I, please don't get angry. Look. Let's have an invitation and let's just kind of, you can, you, it, everything will be okay. Let's sleep on it. Um, no, he says, I see heaven open and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. If that didn't put them over the top, I don't know what would. Because in their minds, if wh whoever is standing, the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, when he stands in front of the throne as the anointed one by God, he stands ready to come down to earth and judge it. That's what he comes to do. If you don't listen to Jesus when he comes to you through his word, <laughs> if you are not a faithful witness when he reveals himself to you, doesn't matter where it is, doesn't matter what place it is or what time it is, and you reject that, he will come again. Jesus will come again physically, and they are seeing a vision. Stephen is seeing a vision of Jesus, the Son of Man, standing there ready to go, ready to act on God's behalf to judge his people. They didn't want to hear it because either Stephen was right and he had a true vision that they were going to be judged for their rejection of Jesus, or he was, well, they hoped he was lying, that maybe he was making it up just to make them feel bad. And so they chose the second option. And they said, we're going to do something about this. Because if he's lying, he's blaspheming. And we don't want to hear him. We don't want to hear the blaspheming in case we get guilty of listening to this blaspheming words ourselves. So they stopped their ears. They rushed at him. They cast him out of the city. You can't be in Jerusalem. This is a holy city. Get out of here. And they stoned him. The way they stoned, I talk about stoning, it's kind of, some of the descriptions are kind of crazy. Uh, what they would usually do is they would put a guy on the edge of a cliff or at the bottom of a wall and then they'd have the witnesses who said, I saw that guy do a bad thing. I was a witness. And they would push the biggest rock they could push over the edge and hopefully that would kill him in one stroke. And if not, they would go, well, who's the second witness? Oh, yeah, you? Okay, here, we've got another rock for you. Okay, you see if you can get it. And then they would put, him, put the guy out of their misery. And that was like an official stoning. Doesn't look like that's what they did here. It looks like what they did was they deliberately said, uh, we, don't have a, we don't have this set up. We don't have the rocks gathered, the big rocks gathered. So just grab whatever you can. 
All right, so just, oh, that rock looks good. That would be a good throwing rock. Let's see. And then, whack. Okay, try again. He's not dead yet. Keep throwing. Eventually, he would be beat to death by people throwing rocks at him. That was what was going on. In anger, in violence, in horror, Stephen dies. The first martyr for Christ. But as he, they were stoning him, what did he say? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard that before? Ever heard Jesus say something like that? When he was on the cross? Into your hands I commit my spirit, he says. He, he falls to his knees, Stephen does, and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What? Yeah, how could you say that? Of course God's going to hold it against them. They're evil. They're wicked. They're doing what they shouldn't be doing. But Stephen, in his death, says, Lord, don't hold it against them. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Ever heard that before? Ever heard somebody say that before? Jesus dying on the cross, looking down. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Lord. Give them grace. Give them mercy. They're lost. They don't know Jesus. They don't know His ways. They don't know God. And he said this and he fell asleep. Luke writes, he fell asleep. <laughs> and from this point on, whenever in the New Testament, whenever anyone talks about people dying, they say, they fell asleep. They fell asleep. Why? Because death isn't the end. Death is not the end for a follower of Jesus. There's this man mentioned here, this man named Saul. And as we continue in, the, in Acts in future weeks and months from now, we're going to learn about this man, Saul. They lay their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, and he's standing there approving. He's not a bystander. He's not just, hey, I'll be your coat man. I'll be your, you know, I'll be your servant here. Now he's like saying, I approve of this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I totally agree that he should die. And I'm, I'm happy he died. I'm happy that you threw a stone at his head. I'm happy about that. And what happens to the church? A great persecution comes up and it, and against the church in Jerusalem. And so they were all scattered. So we're, we're saying all the followers of Jesus were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So the twelve are still in Jerusalem kind of holding down the fort. But the rest are scattered and they're like, well, we can't go worship in the temple like we used to. We can't go do what we used to do. We're going to have to take this underground. They took away our building. They took away our meeting place. But don't worry. Because God works in anyone, in any place, at any time for His glory. So the people are scattered. Scattered like seeds. That's the word that He's using. This word that means to scatter people out like seeds, like, like the sower sowing the seeds. And as they're scattered, they're going to grow wherever, they're, wherever, wherever they fall. They're going to grow where they're planted. So they, they bury Stephen. They, they make a great lamentation. The devout men do that. They identify with Stephen. They bury him. They lament over him. But Saul, on the contrary, here's a guy named Saul. Here's the Saul. He's ravaging the church. A word that means he's destroying it. He's, he's doing everything he can to tear it down and to make it 
go away. And going from house to house, he dragged off men and women. What? Wait a minute, what? He dragged off men and women. And women. So he, he dragged off the innocent ones because it was the men who took the blame for everything in that culture. It was the men who they were after. But he's like, I don't care, I'm going to take the women too. I'll take the innocent ones. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna pay for it too. And they committed them to prison. And we know from later in the story that it wasn't just prison for these people, but many of them died. Many of them were put to death by Saul and by the people that he was leading. That's where the church is left. That's what it comes to. But let me, sh let me share with you a glimpse of hope in my final words here. When all these people are rejecting God's work, when they're saying, no, we don't want God in that part of our lives. No, we don't want God to be in this place. No, we don't want God for these particular people. You can have it yourself. You can have it in your, little, in your homes. You can have Jesus in your heart. It doesn't matter. But he's not going to be in my workplace. He's not going to be in government. He's not going to be in our schools. He's not going to be in any other place. And what do most believe, what have most believers, many believers, have done in our church like that? They've accepted it. They thought, well, we'll just scatter out away from, you know, these places and, and we'll accept it. And that will be the way it is. And okay, we agree. We'll just keep God in this part of our lives. We'll just keep Him in this part of our lives. What does that lead to? It leads to not living for God in His ways. It's, it leads to us living according to our own way. Well, if God's only in this part of our life, then I can live however I want anywhere else. While that's happening, and while that persecution's taken place then for them, and it has happened in many ways for us as well, they're scattered. The scattering that God does through persecution is to get the word out to people who haven't heard. Remember, remember, remember our theme verse, our, the theme verse, the key verse for all of Acts, Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. Right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Where else? Oh, he, he's not just Jerusalem. It's not just Jerusalem. Okay. In Judea and Samaria. Oh, Judea, okay, we, we accept that. Judea and Samaria. Oh, not just Judea and Samaria? Oh, but to the ends of the earth. Oh, you mean everywhere? Oh, you mean God works in anyone, in any time, place, at any time, for his glory? Ah, yes, he does. And here he is, scattering his people in throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, which is a, which is a forecast of things to come. The gospel is going out from Jerusalem. It's going out in the way that Jesus said it would. The way that he commanded that it would. Are we going to be faithful witnesses? That's really the question for us. As we are scattered from this room right here, from this place right here, and we go to our homes, go to our works, we go to our play, we go to whatever we do, are we going to be faithful witnesses? Is, are we going to recognize that God is working everywhere? If we just put on the spectacles to see it? If we just open our eyes, open our hearts to see it? Uh, 
Will we be stiff-necked? Will we be uncircumcised in our heart and our ears? Will we resist the Holy Spirit? Or will we recognize that God is working everywhere? Will we recognize that God is revealing himself, has revealed himself and is revealing himself to us in all kinds of places? And because of that, we must, we must witness faithfully. The story of Acts chapter 1 all the way through chapter 8, verse 3 is, are you witnessing? We have an example here. We have what they taught here. Are we witnessing? Are you witnessing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. Uh, and I thank you that it's not just a story, but it's the true story, a story of redemption, the story of, of you creating a people out of, out of nothing, a, a story of you bringing your church into existence so that, so that your word and that the good news of what God has done through Jesus how he has come to be our redeemer, not just a redeemer of, of an ancient people, a redeemer of the Israelites, or a redeemer of the Jews, but the king and the redeemer and the savior of all people, wherever we are, at whatever time. God, you want to be glorified in that. May we receive that, that message and believe it with our whole hearts and Holy Spirit, then help us to walk out of here and, and live and speak as faithful witnesses to what you have done in our lives. Lord, we love you. We uh, give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you all to just, let's just stand for the, for the final song. And um, while Melissa's getting her instrument ready. I'm just going to invite you to um, stand with me. We're going to sing a song, uh, uh, quite an, uh, uh, an old standard, really. Um, a song that y you may not be familiar with, but it's a wonderful song with a wonderful tune. And as we, as we sing that, I want you to meditate on what God is asking you to do, how he wants you to respond. Is there some way that he wants you to act in, um, in response to the message that he has had for us today? Melissa, go ahead and sing and play and we will follow. <laughs>